Good morning. This is another message from isolation here during the coronavirus. And I pray that you're healthy. I pray that the Lord is providing and protecting you. And we will continue to pray that way. Of course, if you need us in any way, please give us a call. And uh, we will see how we can help. Today, um, I'm preaching to you from my computer, uh, from my office here at the church. And uh, next Sunday, for this Sunday, I'm setting up this sermon. Today is April the 5th, 2020. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. We were hoping we would be able to do a uh, live service of some kind uh, for Easter. Really, when all this started out, we were hoping by Easter all this would be cleared up and we would be able to have a service together. What an exciting thing that would be. And so we started talk, talking about different ways we can have uh, Easter service. And considering the times and such, at first we thought we could all meet together in a field somewhere. And I could preach from the back of a flat-top trailer. And uh, you can stay in your cars, and, and we can do it that way. But uh, we're not encouraged to meet in any kind of group like that right now. And so... What we are hoping to do, and this I will start with the commercial, right? Um, we are hoping to have a video service next week. Uh, all the parts and the pieces are being brought together right now so that we can stream the service directly to your home through the Internet. Uh, now, listen carefully. We do not want you to come to the service here at the church. Uh, we're going to bring it to you. And to do so, you will need to do something, and we will need you to do something for us. First, what you will need to do, if you would like to uh, be able to view the, the video next week, it would be live streaming, and it will not be the entire church here, and you're the only one at home. Uh, matter of fact, it will primarily be me and a couple of other folks to run the cameras, and Whatever else we can get on there to encourage you. Um, but uh, what you will need to do if you want to participate in this is, first of all, you need to uh, have access to Zoom, Z-O-O-M. It's an app or it's a program that you can put on your computer, on your tablet, even on your phone, whatever device you use to actually see and hear video. Now, Zoom has a free program, and that is all you will need for this purpose. They do have prices for additional things, uh, but uh, you will need to do this. First, you need to have that app or that program on whatever device you're going to use. And secondly, you will need to send me your email address as soon as possible. I do have some. I do have many, actually, for church folks, but there's only one way to be sure that I have yours that actually works, and that is for you to email it to me as soon as possible. Don't wait till next Sunday morning to do it. It will be too late. Uh, we need to have this earlier in the week as possible, and it is the only way that we can send you an invitation to join in the video service. All right, It will come to your email address to say that you have access to our particular video service. Um, so, Email your address to the church 
email address, which is one big long word, Hillsdale Bible Church Office. No capital letters and no breaks between the words, Hillsdale Bible Church Office at gmail.com. We will send you instructions on the video service when it's all set up. All right? Now, this is quite unusual, we know, and we do miss our fellowship greatly. Uh, there are many things that we're learning in this process. You know that, too. And there's probably many Bible verses that have become dearer to you now. But this is also opening up some very interesting ministry avenues. Um, one of which, as we are talking about our video service, if that should go well, which I think it would, we will have the tools uh, for providing the same service week after week to those who are unable to attend our physical services. Think of this. Uh, through the Zoom program, they can watch our service at home. When we're actually here, we can still live stream it to their home or to their hospital or to wherever they may be. And I think that's going to be a real blessing uh, in the future. So, there is something good we could rejoice in because of uh, what we're experiencing today. Now, I have chosen my Easter theme before we even came upon this virus. Uh, the theme is hope. A confident expectation. It's anchored solidly and solely in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To us, this is a significant message about things that cannot ever be taken away from us. And it's not because of anything we've done to secure it, but it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, I understand the concerns of our day. Hardly a pastor can preach a sermon at this time without reference to our world's context. Loss is a big word in our world. There's insecurity, there's fear, there's isolation, there's illness, there's lack of work, lack of finances. We, we've seen the list. We've watched it on the news too many times. For some, um, the bigger things of physical illness, and even for some, the loss of a loved one. Those are very big, hard things. Those are the words we call loss. And it's not uncommon for a pastor to say today, we need this, or we need that at this time. And I want to say this today. We have hope. Not we need hope. Do you see the difference? We have hope. I call this sermon series, What God Has Done. The Results of the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love talking about the results. Because these are the things that we benefit from. Years ago, I became a pastor of a church. It was my first church. I was very young at the time. 24 years of age seems very young. I was at a Bible college. I had no pastoral experience. I wasn't even looking for a pastoral position at the time. I was taking a few classes at a Bible college in the area just to add to my education. And I was teaching children's church to four children uh, each Sunday. And it was almost sudden that the pastor of the church resigned his position, 
to actually go and start another church across town. <laughs> yes, that that was a mess. Um, and it did split the church I was attending. The elders of the church that remained um, realized that they had no one to fill the pulpit. And since I was the only one there with any Bible college experience, they asked me to fill in while they figured things out. Now, honestly, I was scared, yes. I was insecure. I was unsure about it. I felt very young. The average age of the church was in their 80s. We had a World War I vet in the church who lived to be 100 years old. And the youth group we used to tease, you had to be 60 to be in the youth group. Well, here I am as a 24-year-old with no experience whatsoever. And uh, it quickly dawned on me. And I really do believe the Lord overrode my concerns and my inexperience. Uh, and he gave me this direction. It came to me. Uh, it wasn't my job to help this church find anything. They were hurting, yes, and they were fearful. And they even questioned their own favor with the Lord. But in his kindness, the Lord led me to a passage of scripture that didn't say, this is what you need, but this is what you have. Go over to the book of Ephesians with me. You could open it up, your Bibles there, or your tablets, however you are following along this morning. And go to Ephesians chapter number 1. I'm going to emphasize verse 18 and 19 and 20 today, where it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Look again at verse 20. Brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is again how the resurrection brings results for us. So, follow along now as I read the majority of the chapter, starting in verse 3 and working all the way to the last verse, verse 23. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, with His purpose, which He purposed in Him, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, 
to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in at his, I do that every time at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is to be named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a terrific passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for it. Thank you for the riches that we have just viewed in this passage. And I pray, Lord, as we just piece a little piece of it today, uh, that jewel, that nugget that we pull out from this passage, uh, may it do wonders for our soul. Encourage us with it today, Lord, we pray. Uh, we lift up our church. Our need as a congregation to be kept safe, to be kept healthy, that you would hold us uh, through these things and, uh, Lord, quickly bring about the results that we can meet together. We ask this, and until then, may we just bask in your love for us. May we trust fully in the work that you're doing. May we have our confident hope in you. And I pray that you'll help us today as we study your word to see it even better. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I challenge you really to spend more time in this passage this week. I, I'm going to speak on it for a couple of weeks. It's going to be part of our Easter service too. But it really is a chapter that can be addressed for at least a year of messages. And you will certainly come away with a full heart of confidence if you would invest your time in digging deeply into Ephesians chapter 1 this week, and maybe even the next week while you're at it. Let me whet your appetite. I always think that's an interesting word, whet, W-H-E-T, whet, to stimulate, to arouse. It's an expression like to jumpstart your battery or prime the pump. Or phrases like that, if we want somebody to move or something to go into action. Uh, I remember when our babies were ill and in danger of dehydration of the flu virus or such, uh, we were coached to give them a tiny bit of sweetener in their bottle to stimulate their desire to drink. Now, I don't know if that was 
a medical remedy or not, but it seemed to work. Uh, so today, I may be priming your pump, jump-starting your battery, wetting your appetite, putting a little sweetener in your bottle, whatever you want to call it. But if it brings you to look a second time at this wonderfully encouraging chapter, Ephesians 1, then I will be pleased to know that it's been a good investment in your week. Paul has a prayer in this chapter. Paul has recorded prayers for us in other places uh, in his writing of the epistles. He has another prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 that's worthy of a good study too. But here in chapter 1, he has a prayer that we're going to look at right now. In verses 18 through 20, the verses I highlighted starts at least in the New American Standard. I pray that... The eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. In essence, that's the prayer. Follow me as we pick it apart for a few minutes. First, notice what Paul is doing in the mention of his prayer on their behalf. This is not just a prayer, folks. This is an education. When was the last time you told someone why you pray for them and what you desire for them in your prayers on their behalf? We normally say things like, we're, we're praying for you, and, and that would have really shortened Paul's epistle here if he had said it just that. We're, we're praying for you. Um, but it wouldn't have left us with these valuable insights that correspond or coincide with his prayer here. His primary request in verse number 18 was that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened. You will notice, and maybe your Bible translation does this, that the words, I pray that, are in italics, which is an English translator's way of saying they have inserted the words to help the meaning of the text. Actually, the sentence begins this way in the Greek. Having completely enlightened the eyes of your heart, it's almost an assumption, isn't it? Something that should already be true. It's not so much a prayer that this would happen, but something even stronger. It's what we call a participle in the Greek, which means it's a verb as an adjective, describing a person by an action describing the Ephesians as those who have already had their eyes enlightened in their heart. Now, that's a strange way to say it, your heart's eyes. But it says, having completely enlightened the eyes of your heart. Now, what difference does this bring? Simply put, Paul wasn't seeking something they didn't have already. He is building on what they already possess. They have the capability of seeing what he will show them. Because their eyes already have been primed for it. Even in the same verse, the New American Standard Version has in verse 18, um, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. See that word know? That you may know what is the hope of his calling. That know word in the Greek is ido. Ido is the verb to see. 
You say, well, why'd they put I know? Well, it, it means, like going with the eyes of the heart here, it's speaking of a spiritual perception. When somebody says, uh, uh, do you understand what I, I'm talking about? You say, well, I see it. Well, that's what the concept is behind this word. To know something is to see it, to have spiritual perception. Your eyes and your heart can see these things. Paul is simply saying to the Ephesians that they have what it takes to spiritually process this message. Their eyes and their heart works. They are fully, completely, that's a perfect tense participle, by the way, they are fully, completely equipped to soak all this in, to see its full scenery, to contemplate these things. It's all possible. Listen to the value of these things. If the Lord had made all of creation, the beautiful animals with all the variety of feather or fur that swims or flies or walks on the ground, if the Lord had made the sun in its brightness, or the moon and the stars in their shining beauty on a black canvas, if he had made the sky with the variety of shades of blue or violet or red or gray, and if he had made clouds of different sizes and depths, if he made green vegetation, if he made flowers of every single color, if he had made all this and created us without eyes, what praise might be missing when it comes to him in prayer? Now in Ephesians 1, we have a beautiful view of God's spiritual creation in us. The chapter goes to great lengths to show us the variety of color in what God has done to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He talks about election, he talks about predestination, he talks about adoption, he talks about forgiveness, he talks about redemption, he talks about indwelling of the Spirit. These are all pretty big theological terms, we know. But all on the landscape of his blessings to us. And to add to that blessing, he has given us eyes to see it with. I've found that it's not wise to ignore the health of my eyes. They're not the best at seeing anyway, but they work. And if I take care of them, they should work for a long time. We have been given spiritual eyes by our Father. Neglecting them, rendering them inactive, is not a way to say thank you back to him. Paul strategically says here in Ephesians, Folks, I'm not trying to give you the eyes to see these things. You already have them. And since you do, open them up and look at these things. Okay, Paul, so what do you want us to see? Go to verse 18. I want you to see what is the hope of his calling. I want you to see... What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Verse 19. I want you to see what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. You know, folks, that could easily be a three-part sermon or a three-year study. Paul didn't show them a book to read. He walked them into a vast library with bookshelves 40 feet high on all four sides of the room. He says, look with your heart's eyes at your hope. 
Look with your heart's eyes at the glory of his inheritance. Look with your heart's eyes at his power towards you. I'm very interested in all of these things, but I have to choose one for today. The hope of your calling. Now, I hope he called you. That doesn't bring a sense of security at all. Uh, because this passage is not talking about a wish. And many times when we say, well, I hope you have this, well, that's our wish. This actually is a statement of something already possessed. What is, not what might be, or what will be, but what is the hope of your calling. It's right there in your hand, folks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you as if you were an Ephesian for a minute. Because the Ephesians were believers, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your message. Alright? You, as a believer, hold it right now in your hand. Right now you have it. You don't need to find it. Open your eyes. We have confident expectation. That's my definition of hope. You've heard it before. We have the confident expectation of his calling. Now, turn it around as much as you want in your hand. Any direction you want is going to say the same thing every single time. It is his calling. It's a genitive pronoun. I see it in the Greek and I bring it out to your attention. It says it belongs to him. The calling is his. We did not manufacture that. We do not take credit for that. I really feel sorry for those who cannot see this. For it is meant to be seen. God painted this portrait of our salvation. Alright? Now, you say, calling, how does that work? There's a big definition that goes into the concept of calling and uh, choosing and the words we use, election and predestined and such like that. This whole chapter is full of it. It's talking about your salvation and you will see that as you keep reading into chapter number one. He's talking about your salvation as one big package, as one big piece. He calls it your calling. Alright? I'm gonna, I'm gonna simplify it just for a few minutes here for you. Uh, because God painted this portrait of your salvation. We're not critics to change his masterpiece. Just look at it. The confident expectation we have is that he has done it. It is his calling of you. Do you see that? Don't, don't walk past this exhibit and forget what you see. If our calling was based on us, it would be inferior in quality, for nothing we really make last, does it? It would be inferior in expertise, for we lack because we have limited wisdom. It would be inferior in effectiveness, because we are often weak. It would be built on someone who lacked full knowledge, full power, and the endurance to live long enough to make it last. On top of that, we're sinful creatures. What can we possibly build that's going to last? Do you really want any part of your salvation dependent upon yourself? I don't. I prefer that any part, any piece of my salvation, whether we're talking about election or redemption or assurance, I prefer that it be planned, designed, initiated, accomplished, 
and secured by one who is strong enough, wise enough, and lasts long enough to see it through. Our God is um, omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's eternal. He has invested every single one of his attributes and character traits into this thing we call our salvation. He didn't set apart anything in his attributes when he called me or when he called you. Can you see it? I, I, I don't want you to miss this. This is a masterpiece we're looking at. It is his calling based on his person. So don't take credit for it. It is his calling. It comes with his wisdom, his strength, his love, his everything. And as a result of that, it's something we could have complete confidence in. We have it because he did it. We have it because he did it for us. You can have this confidence, this confident expectation, this hope. You have it because of Jesus Christ. And if the character and attributes of God are not enough for you, I don't know why they wouldn't be, but if that's not enough to cement this in your mind, I don't know why you would need more proof, why you would need more reinforcements to secure this in your heart. But God does say, in the, I'm going to put in some words here, if that's not enough for you, then let me tell you how I brought this about. Look again at verse 18 and so on. What you have to see is this. What is, remember, not will be, not what might be, but what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his inheritance. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us. Keep going. Middle of verse 19. These are, that's the list we just read, in accordance with, or in proportion to, the working of the strength of his might. Folks, that's about the most powerful way to describe something. Is power possessed? Is power enacted? Is power displayed? Three times the power of the omnipotent God. That's his display. His full operating ability here, cranked up to 100%. Now, you may say, where do I find an exhibit like this of his power? Some people say, well, look at creation. I mentioned that earlier already. Isn't that a marvel marvelous display of power? Look down to verse number 20. Watch verse 20 and see. Does he say which is in accordance or brought about in creation? No. Is he talking about the power of a hurricane? Is he talking about the power of the ocean wave? Is he talking about the power of wind? Look at verse 20. Do you see it? Brought about in Christ? No. Uh, is he talking about the power of the sun or the heat or winter? Now, God could have easily used any part of nature to expose his power to you. He could have. But, you know what? That would not have been satisfactory. Because he also says that this earth he created, there was a time when it wasn't, this earth is going to be destroyed and a new earth made, so there will be a time when this earth and its wind and its waves and its sun is going to be removed. And I don't want my salvation attached to any of the things that's going to be removed. 
God wants to show you not what he just does in creation, but what he does in Christ. He wants to show you what he can do. And so every time he wants to do that, he gives you the same display over and over and over. You see it all over the New Testament epistles. When God says, I want to show you my power, he makes reference directly to the resurrection of Christ. See it in verse 20? Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The power of the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a resurrection that displays what God can do. Now think about this. In the resurrection, the scene changes. It changes from death to life. Can you think of a better contrast? In the resurrection, there's a change from inactivity, inactivity to full activity. In the resurrection, there's a change in the scenery from defeat to victory. In the resurrection, from hopeless to hope. In the resurrection, from strengthless to strength. From no hearing to hearing. From no seeing to seeing. From no breathing to breathing. All of the effects of death are reversed. They're eliminated. Completely dismissed because of life. Let me show your eyes this. When we talk about our hope in his calling, this calling, this hope, is made possible by the same power that brought about the resurrection of Christ. Don't tell me that you have something more powerful against you than this power that is for you. Don't tell me that God's calling you won't work in your life. That your situation is too complicated. That your sins are too difficult. Uh, that your sins are impossible to defeat. Don't tell me that God cannot untangle your mess. That your consequences are too great. That maybe your consequences are too permanent. Or you're far too complex for a simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me that your need is too big for God to meet. Now, if you were counting on yourself to see this through, somehow hoping yourself to gain the wisdom of the strength or the plan or whatever you want to call it to accomplish victory over sin, you were coming up with a way to secure a place in heaven, you were counting on yourself in any of these things, then I will just sit down next to you in hopeless wonder and watch you struggle. And pity your progress. I only desire one thing. And that's the working of your, the eyes of your heart may take time to look at what God has done for you already. There are too many believers out there living as if God has done nothing for them. And they don't take the time to see what he's already given to them. It's right here. It's already ours. Open your eyes. How has he shown his strength to you? How has he given you confident expectation? Not just for today and the current situation. You, honestly, I don't want a temporary patch on the wound. I want a cure. God can certainly deal with the present. But he also deals with the forever. And that is what we have in a resurrected Christ. 
Scripture says he is alive forevermore, right? He did it. He maintains it. Our hope is as alive as he is. Our hope will stay alive as long as he does. The scripture says that he is alive evermore, and so is our hope. The hope of our calling is anchored to a resurrected Christ. This is what God has done. It's a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, can you be confident in this? Are your expectations concreted today? I really don't want you to go another day thinking that everything is dependent upon you, yourself, to see this through. And God's not there just to assist you. He's not your assistant. God is calling on you to trust Him. To rest in Him. To see what He's already done. I really don't want you to go another day thinking that any of this is dependent upon you. Just to see it through. God's promises are enough. Do you believe that? We say it. We say things like, heaven and earth may pass away. True. But God's word will never pass away. Do we believe that? Do we believe what God has said in his word? Do we believe that God has just described you as a believer in Jesus Christ in these verses we looked at today? Do you believe your hope is alive? It's as permanent as the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead. This is a tough time, but it's a great time in history to study the resurrection. I trust that your heart is encouraged by these words. Again, I said it last week, I'll say it again. Contact me if you have any questions. If you simply want to talk about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, I believe that only Jesus Christ can save you. Only he can save you. And he will save you if you call upon him. That's what scripture says. Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. But we're talking about a savior who has died and risen again. And because of that, look at all we have in him. What an incredible set of blessings. Again, please take time in Ephesians 1. I, I, I've only speak, spoken to you for about 40 minutes here. And there is enough here to just consume your week with wonderful thoughts. If you're please do it. Take your time in Ephesians chapter 1. And make a list if you want of what he's done. He's done. He's done. He's done. And look at all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. You will be encouraged. I'm encouraged. And for that, I thank the Lord. Join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your care, your direct activity in our hearts. There's so many things that we worry about, so many things that we, we see consuming us in this world. And yet we want to have our attention consumed by you. We, we want to turn our minds your way. We want to see our hearts, eyes opened up, that they may bask in what you have done and look at this beautiful scenery of salvation and soak it in and enjoy the sight and to know it, to have that spiritual perception that we get it, we understand. And when we do, I think we're livid.
And I pray, Lord, that you bring about these results too. For you who bring about the resurrection can also bring about the change in our lives. I know it. And I'm confident of that because of who you are, what you've done. So we praise you today. ask you again to keep us safe, keep us healthy, and uh, hold us together. Give us a, a date in the real near future that we can be together again. And we praise you for all this in our Lord and Savior Jesus' name, the one who's been resurrected. We praise you for, in his name. Amen.